Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to John, COO of Business Optics, and we discuss how digital twin simulations are being used to simulate and optimize business processes, how GDIT leverages their business process expertise to help clients get the most out of their digital twin simulations, and how to attract and retain top talent. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So how did you meet the team at Business Optics and end up where you're at today? So I actually met the team at Business Optics when I was running DSC's business process business. And we were noticing in the sales process that a lot of companies were coming to us to buy a BPM tool, but really didn't understand the problem they were solving. And so we wanted to kind of change that dynamic and make sure that people weren't doing just technology projects. They were actually really changing their business with these projects. And so we went looking for, we called it a GPS for transformation, a way to show somebody the whole picture and have them understand all of the moving parts and where the real valuable nuggets were to transform. And so we partnered with Business Optics and used that as a major part of our sales initiative and sales efforts with great success. After I left DST, I actually believed enough in the business that um, my wife and I decided to invest our own money in the business. I joined the board and I went and did a couple of other things for a couple of years. But as a board member, um, you know, was very close to the business. Uh, Peter, the founder and CEO and I, had lots and lots of conversations, and um, we ultimately decided, let's join forces and see what we can do. And so uh, I joined right before the whole world decided to go work from home. And so, you know, we built all these plans about, you know, what happens, you know, but we were only focused kind of on the worst case scenarios. And we were blessed actually with our best year ever that year, because I think as companies started to lose their safety nets of the way they always did business, they started to realize, hey, we need to get a better handle on what our business really looks like so we can improve our adaptability and improve our responsiveness to change and these things that are unpredictable. And it really started a, uh, a two-year run for us that's been absolutely amazing. That's awesome. So can you give me like the 10,000-foot overview of what Business Optics actually does? I like to say that we sit at the intersection of enterprise business process analysis, and digital ops slash digital twin. We're all about helping people understand your current state of operations and build scenarios and simulations to understand how could you transform your business before you actually go make all the time and energy in that initiative. So it's really about operating and changing confidently. And we provide the platform um, and the um, the solution to help people kind of make that come to life in a digital way. So uh, I, I'm familiar with Digital Twin a little bit from when we had Mike Cole of GDIT on the show. He was really excited oh, yeah. about Digital Twin. That's actually how we got introduced. Um, but for those that maybe didn't hear that episode, can you describe what Digital Twin means? Sure. Digital Twin is really a digital representation of a physical object. For most people, that's what they think of. And when you think of digital twin, you think about product design. So 
from airplanes to cars to any number of things go through, you know, have digital models. And then they go through a lot of planning and scenarios and simulation around those instead of building real life full scale models. We've kind of, and you also have seen that in manufacturing of, you know, how can you increase throughput, improve efficiency, quality, those kinds of things. Um, and there's a growing trend around digital twin called DTO or digital twin of an operation or digital twin of an organization. And it's a very similar mindset. It's about how do you build a dynamic, holistic, digital representation of your business so you can understand what it is and what it could be. And obviously, when you move into an organization or an operation, there are the variables aren't quite as controlled as well as a manufacturing plant. You, you know, your instrumentation isn't as good across the board. Your measurement is hard because it's humans. We have humans involved in the process. And when humans get involved in the process, either in doing the process or humans are actually part of the process, as in customers, your variance becomes much wider. And so how do you manage all of those pieces inside that model? You know, you can't control all of that. And so do you actually get to a perfect digital twin of your business? No, you don't. But you can go on a journey with that same mindset and that same approach about continuous adaptability instead of isolated episodic process improvement projects. And that's really what we're trying to convey to our, our clients is help them take them on that journey, if you will. So when trying to simulate business processes, as you said, like, so much of it is dependent on humans. What does it look like in practice implementing the human variables? Do you have to like what kind of change the simulation as people are brought on to the organization and put in like their personality traits to it um, to uh, make it more accurate to how those people might behave within the business processes? Like how granular does it get to the people? It can actually get very granular, and, and some of the points that you're raising are, are very good ones. You know, when we talk to a customer about kind of moving, maturing through this phase, we kind of talk about it in, in five stages. So the first one is descriptive. Build a process diagram of what you're doing today. Um, and, you know, every company out there has got Visio diagrams that are out there that show them what their processes look like. The next step is make those diagrams informative, and now we call them process models. And the model part is the information that is now appended or that metadata that's appended to that model. And that could be volume of work, that could be arrival rate, work time, wait time, all of those different variances in individuals, because you can see wide variance between a very experienced, you know, um, person who's working in that process and somebody who's brand new. I mean, that could be four to five times is more efficient based on where they are in that, that curve. And then you take those models and you then move into scenarios and simulations. And it's not about running one simulation or scenario. It's about running through, you know, using Monte Carlo simulation, running through a lot of them, looking at all the different outcomes that can be, and then gelling those together to try to understand what the most likely path is for that transformation exercise. And that transformation exercise can be built around, do I want to add more people? Am I adding more volume? Am I automating things? And, you know, we'll also get, you know, hopefully later on talk a little bit about the fact that these models are moving well beyond just, does it save me money? That is certainly one thing, but there's so many other dynamics that come into play now. And once you then have 
those scenarios and simulations of processes, you can then start to say, well, what if I take all of these processes and try to move my business forward to a new target operating model? And so for us, that's kind of the fourth maturity level, which is transformation. You know, how do I now start to move that business? And then lastly, how do I become aware, situationally aware, continuous aware of what's going on? And that's digital twin. So how am I feeding that real-time data back into the model and identifying my variances and where things aren't happening like I expected them to happen? And then what do I have to do to get those back into play? And so we just take our customers you know, through that journey as they are able to take parts of their business and transform. So how many people does it take to, like, is, there, is it someone's full-time job to keep the data feed updated going into the digital twin? Um, or is it a much more broad thing where you have to have a really close relationship and implement it into the company's culture? Like this digital twin is a part of how we operate. It is. It absolutely becomes part of how you operate. Now, starting off is is key. You know, I, you've probably a lot of folks have heard about process mining, the ability to go into a system, mine log data, and then use that log data to understand what's happening in the process. And so we do that a lot as well. You could go into a, a platform like SAP or Salesforce or a line of business system, grab that log data and then stratify it into its different levels. And we can actually build visual process models from that data, taking the metadata, bringing it all in, and now you have a model. For a lot of people, one of the very first kind of surprise moments is when they pull that log data in, they then realize there's 172 variants of what I thought was one process. And you then have to understand, well, what is in that variance? And a lot of times, you know, our our stats kick in. It's like, oh, we'll only take you know, the, the top top part of this to, to look at what's happening, but your risk might be in the tail of that variance. And so how do you sort through that and understand all those different variances and what's important and what's not important is a big part of how you then take that next step of action. There's also a whole world that's hidden from that log data that happens outside of those line of business systems. We all know of the Excel spreadsheets and the access databases and the workflow that's happening in email or the workflow that's happening, you know, between folks sitting next to each other. And how do you gather that to understand the holistic picture of that? You can do that through task mining, which is putting an application on on the desktop and capturing keystrokes and understanding what people are doing. Um, You can do that through the old time and ocean studies, actually watching what people are doing and trying to grab that. Um, And we've also developed what we call rapid process discovery, which sends a survey out to people who participate in the process and lets them tell us in English what they do, what what happens from an input point of view, what they do when they have it, the systems they use, and what output goes out to the next step. And we're able to take all of that English data that's in those surveys, and we turn that into process flows as well. And then we can go through a consolidation process where we can take process mining, task mining, and survey data and bring it together to what we believe is the most comprehensive look at what's happening in your operation right now. And then it is a tuning process from there. It is a tuning process of the mining data coming in, maybe making sure it's mapped, and then constantly checking back in with your staff and making sure that those hidden factories 
aren't popping back up again to understand what, what's going on. And that's where that variance analysis comes in. Because if you said, hey, I think this step in the process should take this long, and now it's taking X times that, you can then take a step back and say, well, what, what's happening that I, I can't see? Uh, as an example, one of our clients is a aviation regulator. And they have built very um, precise models of a flight from pre-flight to post-flight. How long should climb take? How long should the route take? How long should service take? To that level of detail. And when a particular flight doesn't meet that pattern, they're able to go in and start doing analysis and understand what happened in that. Sometimes it could be a weather delay. It could be a reroute. It could be ground issues. But they've actually found much bigger things than that. They have found that people, that pilots are turning off beacons and making unplanned um, stops and then coming back online. And all those things are happening because they're aware of their process and performance at the same time. That's really crazy. Uh, that, that actually reminds me of um, when we had the, someone that's working on AI at Deloitte. Uh, the director of the Deloitte AI Institute, her name was Bina. Mm-hmm. She was talking about like uh, in terms of ethical AI, like where you wouldn't expect to see like ethical dilemmas pop up from AI. Like they made an AI that uh, just analyzes fuel efficiency in jet engines. And they realized that from that data that the algorithm was generating uh, after analyzing all the inputs coming in from the engine, they could determine um, like how good of a job the pilot was doing. And so now they have the question in front of them, like, should this impact the pilot's performance reviews? This was just supposed to be like, does the plane work well? But now it's impacting a person and, and there's like questions that need to be answered there. And so I'm, I'm curious, it sounds like with all the analysis you can do of the business processes, it can come back to the individuals. Like you said, pilots were getting caught turning off their beacon for unplanned landings. So how do you think about that? Like the the implications on the the people at the companies um, that, you, that you work with? I think with awareness always comes responsibility. Technology is not going to answer those questions. We're going to have to answer those questions and understand where they fit um, in importance and, and, and what we do with them. You know, I think my whole career over business process, there's always this moment when you work with a client and they truly understand what's happening in their business. And you can see that look on their face and there's like this worry. And the answer, and, and now is not the time to worry because now you know. This didn't just start yesterday. This has always <laughs> been there. And we're now giving you the tools to make better decisions. But ultimately, it comes down to us as humans to make better decisions with that, that data. Are we going to be punitive or are we going to you know, drive the, the initiative and the business forward in an enlightened way? It, I, you know, a really good example of this is um, you know, I worked in regulatory environments almost my whole career. And when regulators came in, they spent 99% of their time looking at what had already happened. They're going through all of your logs, all of your records, trying to figure out, were you compliant with the rules and regulations? And there's a, there is a place for that. But the past can't be changed. 
And so we're seeing a move from regulators with this new awareness and these new tools moving from one of firefighting to one of fire prevention. And so like if you look in the UK, some of the rules around operational resiliency, they're now going into organizations and saying, okay, if these set of things happen to your business, how well are you positioned to respond effectively? And now businesses that never thought they would have to worry about scenario modeling of their operations are being forced to do it by regulators because that is really the question that we want to answer. We want to be better prepared for the future, not understand our failings of the past. We can learn from those failings, but let's make sure we're prepared for what's coming at us. And I think that's this big shift as we make this, you know, as we really embrace digital, as you talked about earlier in the conversation. Yeah. So it's like looking forward, you have to think a lot more about providing the right like systemic incentives for the right things to happen rather than the rather than providing the right threats because people will just avoid those in one way or another. Right. Um, you know, I, I would say <laughs> as humans, we do have a tendency to pay attention to threats a little bit. I mean, yeah. Especially around regulation, you know, there's the saying that, you know, the cost of regulation is high. The, the cost of uncompliance is even higher, yes. um, as, you know, <laughs> as we've seen the, the fines against banks and other things like that. But I think that's, you know, that's this, this drive to, to look forward and, as you said, approach things systemically. And the only way you can address things systemically truly is understand your as is. What is my current state? And be brutally honest about it. And then how can I move it forward, even if it's an inch at a time, but you have to know where you're starting. Absolutely. So we, we mentioned GDIT earlier, just because like that, it's like I said, how we got introduced, but yes. can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with them? Right. Um, GDIT is one of our, um, one of our partners. We, um, you know, we have a great relationship with a, a number of partners. And, you know, I think with GDIT, and it's very fitting, we're about helping our partners show the art of the possible. Um, and I think Mike actually used those exact phrases in, in his I think in it was the podcast. title of his episode. Oh, is that the actual <laughs> title? There you go. Um, you know, and, it, and when you think about helping somebody understand where they currently are and show them the scenarios and simulations of where they can be, and then with a, a company like GDIT that has so much intellectual property um, around best practices and golden processes and the right way to do things, you can go to a customer and say, here's your current state. Here's what your business could look like. And here's how that compares to our golden processes, to our intellectual property and how we can make that come to life for you. And you're not doing that in a static analog way, like in PowerPoint. You're doing that in a model. And when the customer says, oh, well, what if we did that? What do we? You're already starting to change the dialogue with them about that art of the possible, about what could be. And that opens up the conversation to one of usually technology or outsourcing or cost savings to one of true business transformation and outcome. And that's where the real success comes in, in those projects. And if we can help our partners elevate that conversation and bring their value to their customers faster, then we've, we've done our job. So is it that 
So GDIT is bringing their business process expertise and your digital twin technology to their customers and helping them implement best practice business processes using a combination of both. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. So one of the processes that we're working on is hire to retire. And, you know, right now in the workforce, you've got the great resignation coupled with the great retirement, both of them happening at the same time. And how are you, how are you capturing all of that intellectual property in your business and all of that knowledge so that you can sustain it and grow it and move your business forward? And there is a systematic way to be able to do that and a way to enable that and a way to then share that with your staff. And then you couple that with the pandemic and the fact that line of sight management doesn't work anymore because we're all in our houses. How do you push change to that organization? How do you know that people have understood that change, that they've even realized that change has happened? Putting all that in the context of a process and a best practice, standard operating procedures, helps to bridge that gap that we used to manage just through line of sight. Yeah, I mean, through the past couple of years of the extremely competitive hiring landscape, attracting and retaining top talent has been a pretty hot topic on the podcast. Can you share a little bit about what kind of things you can do within the architecture of business processes to retain talent? Like you're, you're talking about hire to retire, like well, in, in practice of like implementing in the process, what does that look like? Well, I think transformation, that is one of those factors that should be taken into account. So, you know, process improvement and transformation used to kind of be, people thought of them as the same way. And cost savings was the driver. But there are other things now. There's net promoter score. There's associate satisfaction. There's associate retention. There are ESG variables like carbon footprint. There are regulatory variables. And so how do you lay all of those lenses on top of a process to make a 360-degree informed decision? And frankly, that's how we got our name, Business Optics, is how many lenses can we put on your business so that you make the most comprehensive, competent decision you can make? And when you think about transformation, robotic process automation, RPA, big topic that's out there for a lot of folks right now. And RPA is how do you take those routine tasks away from your staff to free them up to do the most value-add parts of your business and the things that are actually going to help them grow and expand? You know, if I'm sitting there doing the same thing seven hours a day, I'm not growing and I won't be long for that job. And how do you then take that away so that you create more comprehensive jobs? So one of the things a lot of people talk about is, well, how do I hire A players? I believe and we believe very strongly hiring A players starts with building A jobs. Is the job worthy of an A player? And a lot of times when you go in and look at the process, it's not. Um, It's still based on the old patterns of how we used to work. And those patterns can be deconstructed and reconstructed to create different jobs, different accountabilities, and different responsibilities. And if you have the ability to understand your current state and simulate what could be, you can understand how to make more of those jobs, quote unquote, a jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you slap a good job title on it, you got to look at what the day-to-day looks like for 
whatever VP job, if they're slogging through a bunch of paperwork, that's uh, not going to be super attractive versus like getting to spend time solving hard problems and uh, being able to see your ideas make change in the business. Right. Right. And, you know, I think when you, when you talk about that journey and you talk about RPA, obviously it's having a big impact in a lot of places, but there is some hesitation or some confusion in the marketplace around how to get the value out of that. And I think that's because so many times those initiatives are started as technology projects instead of business projects. And if you can see again your current state and understand the end-to-end, you can see those points where putting in RPA or AI or ML or any number of the hyper-automation tools that are out there, you can see the real value that can be derived from that. And a lot of times when you start a technology journey, you kind of look at, well, let's go grab the lowest hanging fruit. Well, the lowest hanging fruit usually doesn't have the biggest return. And some of these technology initiatives have big step changes to them. So, okay, I understand you may want to understand it, but how do you get to real value quick and ensure that that real value isn't just real value at that step, but real value in the value chain? Did I actually remove it completely from the value chain or did I just push it to some other part of the process and now it's even more confusing than it was before? And again, that end-to-end process lets folks see that bigger picture and make those more strategic, durable decisions. So what are some ways that people can like mess up running their digital twin uh, of their business processes? I think one, trying to be too perfect. You know, we're, we're really not at this point in the, in the technology evolution trying to replicate what's happening in, in manufacturing. You can have great gains by just getting on the green. And so it's, you know, don't look for perfection before you start. Number two, don't go in with any preconceived ideas about what you think your business is really doing and what it really looks like. Because you can get caught up in that, the fact that reality doesn't match expectations. Just accept that that is what it is. And now you have the opportunity to start making those moves forward. And then I would just say thirdly, and we've talked about it or not, it's not a technology project. It is a business project. It is part of your DNA. And that means it's, it infects all of your folks. This is much about a cultural change as it is a technology change. And if you're not embracing what it does to your culture, what it does to your organization, what it may even do to your compensation structure, all of those things when embarking on a digital twin, you're going to run into unneeded friction. If you could design like the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports, what would be like the most important topics that you would want them to learn? Oh, that's a, uh, that's, that's a question, Adam. Um, in looking at hiring for me it's always been about looking for talent and temperament and moral compass if you've got those three pieces right you can teach a lot of skills and you can teach a lot of business Um, and for me looking at my career and looking at the folks that I've worked with honestly quote-unquote tours of duty I think is one of the best ways to get experience. You know, I think making sure that somebody is prepared and has the, you know, the the training and the skills and the learning to be able to take that next step, but then 
trusting them and putting them in the right environment to showcase what they can do. You know, I, I look over my career and accountability to me was the biggest gift that could be given. And I believe that, you know, accountability isn't shared. I can't say, well, you're accountable for this, except when something bad happens and then I'm going to swoop in and take it over. Uh, accountability really is I am giving this to you to run. And when somebody would say that to me, it, it just empowered me to go do what we needed to do as a, as a team to get that stuff done. And I think when we pass that gift on to our staff by truly making them accountable, like, oh, everybody says the accountable word, you think about, well, what happens if I fail? Well, what happens when you succeed? What happens when you knock it out of the park? And I think that's, that's really embracing that accountability. And it, it also goes back to those A jobs of how do you big, build a job big enough for somebody to really show what they're capable of and show their decision-making and show their ability to handle failure because it's going to happen for all of us. And then as a leader, what happens in that failure? Do you, do you work through that as a learning experience and, or do you kind of swoop in to try to make it all right? Or do you just react, you know, out of, you know, anger and emotion. And I think if it's accountable, you've really got to let that person understand that and grow through that. You know, don't put them in situations that will put your entire business at risk, but every single one of us makes mistakes. We're human beings. And that comes with the category. And with that also comes the opportunity for them to knock the cover off the ball. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. I think it's kind of the knee jerk reaction to, cause I mean, you, you care about the the people that you work with. And so it, you want to swoop in and, and, and fix it, but like, yeah, some of the, the things you remember the longest are the, the mistakes that you had to work through and fix yourself and learn from. I, I made a mistake in my career, Adam, once that I was convinced we could get this client through this project and, and win this piece of business. And we spent a lot of money trying to make it happen. And after a large period of time, we took a step back and said, ah, this really, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get this to where they need to be, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, expectations, like for like, all these other things that can bog a project down. And so we decided to, to cut bait. And so I had to go to my board and explain why we were cutting bait on a project that we had spent a lot of money on and, um, and a lot of time on. And so, of course, we went through all of the analysis that we could possibly do to try to understand why we got to where we got to. We did our postmortem. We shared it all. We sent it ahead of time. We get to the board meeting. I start to explain it all. And uh, our board chair basically looked at me and said, what are the things you learned the most? And we went through those items. And he said, we're good. And in, in that moment of failure, Trust me, I, I felt the heat of that moment. I never felt more empowered to run the business than in that point in time. Funny story, though, at the coffee break, he comes back and he's stirring, he's stirring his coffee. And he says, um, just for the record, if you ever think there's anything else you need to learn, I'm more than happy to send you back to school because it's eminently cheaper than what we spent on this project. <laughs> <laughs> so. He, he got his well, he got his one little thing in, but still just that approach basically was, hey, we are in this together. 
And we un- we both understand how we got here and we were in it together in this journey. It wasn't you alone. We now know what we made mistakes. Let's go run the business. And as I said, never felt more empowered. And, you know, I think that's the kind of way we, that's the kind of space we need to have for each other and the kind of grace we need to have for each other. And the way we truly need to support each other is we try to build businesses. That's awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like it was extremely helpful to your career to be able to fail like that. Um, yeah, it, it's weird <laughs> to be able to fail like that. But, you know, there, there were other there were other failures as well. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, the, the question is, what do you, I mean, that's cliche, but what do you do and how do you get back up? Absolutely. Well, I got one more question for you. What are you learning right now as a leader? I am learning that adaptability is probably the most important skill. Somebody a long time ago told me, be confident in yourself and find uncomfortable situations. You don't even have to go looking for uncomfortable situations in today's, in, in today's economy and in today's world. We never know what's around the corner for us. And being adaptable to me isn't about having all the answers. It's about being curious and asking all the questions because the whole landscape just changes in a moment. And all the answers that you may have known are irrelevant now. So how do you get curious and how do you ask those questions to figure out, okay, what's this new world? What are the new opportunities? How do I build on those and, and, and move forward? Yeah, I mean, that's that's been my experience as well uh, on just the importance of adaptability. Like modern CTO, we're technically a startup. You don't usually think of a podcast as a startup, but we are. Like, and through my time here, I've, I've been here like two years and we have pivoted the like the direction that the business is going a bunch of different times. Um, the most recent one really seems like it's working, making podcasts for other companies because a lot of people want podcasts. And to like a, actually, like I didn't know this before, but having one is can be a really smart dis- business decision. And like, I learned how to make that argument. And so I've done like production and sales and hosting a podcast, not something I thought I would do. Um, But yeah, and I've been really uncomfortable (laughs) in a lot of situations. Um, The first sales call I ever got on was, I thought that afterwards I was like, man, sales is terrible. I can't believe people (laughs) do this. Um, But I later found out from doing other sales calls that it was just like one of the most difficult ones objectively I ever had to deal with. And it just happened yeah. to be my first one. <laughs> right. But learned a lot from it. Flopped. Guy did not respond to any emails after, but definitely learned a lot from it. <laughs> right. Well, but I think you're, you get the nail on the head that that if you if you live in a state of adaptability, you're ready to pivot because you're already you're already predisposed to it. And you know, spending my 28 years in kind of corporate America, we were blessed with an amazing founder CEO who really ran it in a very entrepreneurial way, but we were still really big. After leaving there, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and that ability to pivot is a key factor in successful entrepreneurs. I mean, failure is only failure if you stop, right? So if you tried something and it didn't work, that's not failure. It just didn't work. Go do another thing. And you might do that four times in a week, trying to get that right message, 
that right model down to where you need to go. But it's only failure if you stop. And if you're constantly adaptable, then you're ready to be able to do that. And so I can say I over the last two or three years, that, that's been the, the biggest thing that I've, I've taken away and that I've worked on in myself is just, just be ready for it. And you haven't stopped. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fantastic, man. Before we wrap up, um, if, if people are out there listening and they want to improve their business processes, how do they get in touch? Do they go through GDIT or get in touch with you directly? How does, how does it work? They can absolutely go through through GDIT or any of our partners, and they can uh, also find us um, directly at businessoptics.com. And uh, Business Optics is uh, ends in an X instead of a C. So. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.